will have to remind myself to not eat peanut butter before uh, sitting down to do this podcast because my throat is um, not cooperating at the moment. I know with musicians, it's milk, and you don't do that before you go on stage and perform. Uh, taking a scoop of Jif Extra Crunchy is uh, is not wise either, so I'll have to remember that. But it is the podcast. It's Pete Forsey. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hear Maisie the Hound in the background barking here soon probably to be let outside. But we're going to record here probably something you're listening to now here on Thursday. I'm coming at you on Wednesday evening. A bit of a uh, altered schedule due to some things popping up unexpectedly on Monday. Some good things, some things that are actually related to the podcast might have an announcement here soon for you guys. I'll keep it under uh, under wraps for now. And uh, if you hear something, just just keep an, an ear out for it. But we're going to talk NFL football, particularly the coaching cycle and what happened there. Got to talk Flores. Got to talk the vacancies. Preview this weekend's uh, slate of football games. Super wild card weekend. Let's get to it. Uh, it's episode 70 of the podcast. I'll have no issue patting myself on the back with this one. Dolphins fire Brian Flores after rattling off seven wins in eight weeks with Miami this weekend, inexplicably firing Brian Flores. You know, he should be happy when it's all said and done. I'm sure he was heated and upset and was beside himself, or maybe not. He's in the building, so maybe he could read the tea leaves. There's no reason the Dolphins should have chosen him over over Chris Greer. You look at some of the picks that they've made in the past few drafts, all the capital that they've accumulated with draft picks, a lot of it not used wisely. I know Waddles, uh, you know, turned out well. Austin Jackson, you know, a, a tackle that I think, uh, our offensive lineman that I think will, will be pretty good. He's been so-so. But, you know, if, if the main gripe here, and I, this is what it, it's been reported, I guess, that Flores liked Herbert over Tua. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy's got a right to, to be pissed about that, I think. And, yeah, maybe that would ruffle some feathers, between him and the general manager. And maybe he is hard on his coaching staff and his players. That's something that, you know, is pretty common and pretty well known in New England, where he comes from. Why did you hire him then? He's done nothing but turn your franchise around after it was a laughing stock, after Gase left, after his final year in Miami. And then Gase, as we all know, went and ran the Jets into the ground, and they're still there. So you're, you're, you're taking a guy out of New England, he brings in kind of their mantra as far as holding people accountable, working late, working hard, not necessarily being the uh, the guy that people want to ask to a dinner date, you know, and, and go out and have fun with and joke around with. No, he he's hard on his coaches. And then you fire him after he wins games? Like, th- this doesn't make any sense, except if you were to listen to owner Stephen Ross, which he's been on the record. Is saying that if you're not winning after three years, we're looking for a new head coach. He's told the public that. And that's why I tweeted out on Sunday as I was watching the games and we're talking about, you know, who may be on their way out come Black Monday the next day at the time. I said, don't be surprised if, you know, the Dolphins reverse course here. And Flores should be, you know, happy when it's all said and done. Again, immediate aftermath, you're probably pissed. The Dolphins, though, like, who do you expect to get that's better in this hiring cycle? I don't have a list of names. We'll talk about the other vacancies here in a minute. But who would actually want this job? You got an owner who's absent. He lives in New York. He doesn't actually live in the city. But when he is in the city, it's usually game day. And he sits in the box with Chris Greer, the general manager. 
you don't really have a whole lot of sway and influence on the owner. You're never really going to be the guy that they lean on first. It's always going to be whoever's in the executive suite. So it's not very, you know, it's not really an appealing job here for for head coaches unless you can become that 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 Shula uh, with a quarterback like Dan Marino. You know, how are you ever going to win in Miami? It, it's hard in and of itself. Like, you know, too much beach, uh, too many clubs, uh, too much golf, too much sun. It's just like, you know, can you can you win there? Like, this has the next Nick Sirianni written all over, which we clowned on him last year, and they're in the playoffs now. I don't know how sustainable what they're doing in Philly. Uh, I don't know how sustainable that is. It's just, you know, a formality based off the uh, the extra wild card that they have in play now. So while it's, you know, playoffs, they're not very good. The Dolphins are going to get a similar type of hire. Like, I mean, is it going to be the 49ers offensive coordinator, uh, Mike McDaniel? Like, just a nobody that's now just popping up out of nowhere once these vacancies happen. Matt Eberflus, whose defense sucks over with Indianapolis, but somehow keeps getting hires or uh, interview requests. I know they're interviewing Dan Quinn. <laughs> I mean... Like, where are they going to turn to? You, you just let go of an excellent coach. An excellent coach. I'm not saying he's the greatest coach out there, but he's turned things around each season and, and dealt with the subpar pick in Tua over Herbert, has done nothing but praise him publicly. Maybe, maybe you know, he has said some bad things behind the scenes, but that's behind the scenes. That's okay. It doesn't make sense, and Miami wonders why they can't win. You got an owner that's not in Miami, you got a GM who's had the influence over him and isn't doing a good job picking the players. And then as soon as you get the right coach, you can't even make it work with that individual. So Dolphins, Dolphins fans, no idea where you're going for your next head coach. So the Chicago Bears made it official. They uh, moved on from Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace. The McCaskey family, you got George sitting down talking to the public. I know you, you listen to that news conference and you just get the idea that they're going to make the same mistake along with the New York football giants. They fired Joe judge and get Gettleman retired. You got the giants saying that they're going to hire a general manager first and then a head coach. And the bears say that they're going to look for someone that's a leader of men. They saw at some point what everybody saw with Matt Nagy and that he really is just a play caller. This is the issue with NFL teams. They put up barriers with the giants they're already putting up the barrier that we will hire the uh, general manager first. Why? Why does it have to be that way? Well, why can't you just leave it open-ended and say, yeah, we're, we're not making a call. If we find the right head coach first, we'll hire him. If we fi- hire the uh, uh, or find the general manager first, then we'll hire him. Why has it got to be one way or the other? Like, don't put up barriers. Now, now the bears are, you know, honing in on finding a leader of men. Well, Maybe you find a great leader, but then he doesn't know how to schematically change his offense or defense midseason to to accommodate his personnel. That's what you know great coaches do. That's what Pete Carroll does. He's a great leader and a great culture guy, but he also knows X's and O's, and that's what he's done to sustain his success in Seattle, along with Bill Belichick, even uh, Mike Zimmer. I know he just got fired, but he did it for you know eight years in uh, in Minnesota. So don't put up barriers when you're looking for your next head coach. Like, just when you fire a guy, it does mean you did something wrong. It means something was not working. Don't put up all these qualifiers. Just say, or we're we're not ruling anything out at this point in time. Whatever we feel like is the best fit, that's what we'll go with. 
And the Raiders, you know, they may hold on to Rich Bisaccia. I know he's got him into the playoffs, and people seem to think that's enough. You got to remember, there's a big difference between taking over a team midseason where the personnel has already uh, been established, uh, when the draft capital can't help you. Your vision's not involved at that point in time. When you get to the offseason and when you get to things like the cap and draft picks and hiring a staff, right now, Basaccia hasn't had to deal with uh, an offensive line coach or a coordinator leaving to go take another job. Like, that's stuff that's important. So for these people that are, you know, pounding the table for Rich Basaccia, let's pump the brakes on that. Commendable job. He's done an excellent job in turning around the season and really keeping the season on the on the tracks here. But I, I'm not ready to, to say that he should just get the interim tag um, removed at this point in time. And then you got the Jaguars. I've said it again, Doug Peterson just seems like the perfect fit there. Um, I know Jim Harbaugh apparently told some recruit's dad that he's willing to, to entertain offers to the NFL. I think the Bears, you know, slam dunk. You know, Michigan is where Harbaugh went to college, played for the Bears. I think it would be a slam dunk just because he has worked with quarterbacks like Justin Fields as far as, you know, Kaepernick. Uh, even Alex Smith is more of like a modern quarterback, even though he came out in like 2004. His skill set lended itself well. To, to the modern game, and that's why he took off with Andy Reid. I think with that quarterback, younger roster, taking over good defense, he, he could just turn this thing around soon, you know, much like Ron Rivera did with the defense, and Fangio even did with the defense. You know, he, he can get that side of the ball correct very quickly. And plus, he's just a grown-up. He, he is also what the Bears are looking for on the leadership side of things. Raiders, I still think Wink Martindale's a good choice whenever the Ravens season um, or, or when their season is over, whenever he wants to get an interview. I don't know why he can't seem to get an interview. I actually think Wink Martindale might be a good fit for the Giants as far as just establishing toughness, culture, identity. That's something that they obviously need, but they're going to be hiring the general manager first because they seem to want to do that. They shouldn't be having rules. Uh, but, you know, as far as good fits out there, you just got to know who's going to be available. I know Dan Quinn's a hot name. All the names that I'm hearing right now, Kellen Moore, Dan Quinn, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, Matt Eberflus. I don't think any of these guys are actually going to get hired. All these people that are coming out now, I think it's just a due diligence thing. Let, let's make sure we're not missing anything with this guy. Teams are saying we, we don't plan on hiring him, but if they blow us away, then we'll make an offer. Right now, it's just let's make sure we're not missing anything. But Wink Martindale, I think he'd be an excellent head coach. Um, he's out there for the taking. Giants. Raiders, pick up the phone, give them a call. So with the playoffs around the corner, super wildcard weekend, I'm going to go game by game here, give you what my main takeaways are and give you somewhat of a prediction. I always put the predictions out on Twitter, at Pete4C, if you're not following. Uh, just I like to take it up to the deadline, make sure I got all the information before I put the picks out there. But I'll give you a general idea on what I'm leaning, uh, leaning towards here for this uh, this weekend, which Vegas and Cincinnati, I think the buck uh, stops here with the Raiders. Nice story, but Joe Burrow is playing out of his mind. They've gotten rest. They didn't play any of their key guys. It's a home game. Cincinnati, I think while they keep it close for a while, Joe Burrow, just too much arm talent, uh, not enough talent on the secondary of the Raiders. You know, he's put up two 400-plus yard games. 
the last two games that he's played. Uh, rested Burrow, rested Chase. That's going to be too much. I'm taking Cincinnati in this one. And then New England and Buffalo, it's calling for snow and bad weather. I'm tending to lean Buffalo after what they did in New England where the conditions were not very unique. Obviously, the first game, the Patriots, they took that over because of just the vicious win. Like the kickers said themselves, we've never seen anything like this. Belichick had a game plan. They took advantage. They won the football game. Unless it's something like that where it's supremely unique, I'm tending to lean Buffalo. I just don't trust Mac Jones to be the guy needed and counted on to, to make throws when it's crunch time. I'm taking Josh Allen in that situation. Now, if the defense can force two-plus turnovers by, uh, to, uh, on Josh Allen, then I would tend to lean New England. So I'll be thinking about this. My inclination at the moment, though, is that he will take care of the football and they will be able to set up a few screens, uh, even get Josh Allen involved with his legs. That is probably the most you know enormous thing that the Bills have to do. To, to get to victory and get to win deep into the playoffs is get his legs involved, Josh Allen, because he's probably their biggest running threat. So at the moment, I am going with the Buffalo Bills. Now, switching it over to the NFC. This game, I think, could be closer uh, initially, much like I'm kind of predicting for the Vegas-Cincinnati game. The reality is that Tampa Bay's run defense has not been good lately, but they're getting all those guys back. I don't know how healthy they're going to be. I tend to think that they will be healthy, and I tend to think that, you know, with them being marquee players, Shaq Barrett, uh, Levante David, um, other ones escaping. Oh, Leonard Fournette. Like, these guys are, are ballers. Like, these are names. I tend to think that these players, uh, even like 70% of them is better than the, the, the next guy up. So I, I tend to think they're going to be able to play at a high level. But, you know, Philly's a running team. They, they've completely made themselves – into this rushing attack and they're going to be playing in Tampa Bay. Um, so it will be a bit of a advantage for, for the Buccaneers, but you know, the rush game translates, it, it translates. So could I see it being like a, a one score game heading into the fourth quarter and then Tom makes it, you know, 14 point lead and 14 point uh, uh, margin once it uh, hits, you know, triple zeros. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I, I'm going to take Tampa Bay here by two touchdowns. And then with Dallas and San Francisco, hard not to take the Niners. Really hard. They, they are firing on all cylinders. It's a team that's, you know, they're, they're just finding ways to win. They're, they're understanding that when guys go down, when a guy's hot like Debo Samuel, um, if you need sacks, we can win that way. I mean, that's what championship teams do. You just, you know, can, can Jimmy G make explosive plays at the biggest moments? And it's going to be in Dallas. Um, this is almost a coin flip. This is probably the hardest game for me to choose just because I, I don't want to go against San Francisco. I'm not comfortable either which way as it stands here on Wednesday. Next up is Kansas City-Pittsburgh. I mean, it's going to be the Chiefs, right? I mean, Pittsburgh, it, it's a nice story. Roethlisberger gets one more game, um, playoff game. But I mean, I, they lost, they got embarrassed just a couple of weeks ago in Arrowhead. And, you know, the Chiefs, they're not going to be a team. They've never been a team that, like, looks past squads. So I don't think they're going to lay down. I think they know this is when they really turn it up. They dial it in. I think this is uh, another route. Just too much limitations on offense with the Steelers. Um, you're not playing Baltimore, who is also limited on offense, like you were in the final week of the year. Uh, kudos to them for making it in, but there's really nothing to discuss here. 
this one will be all Chiefs. And then the final one, you, you almost like think, do, do any of these teams, either of these teams deserve to be in here? The Rams, I mean, look, they lost five games in the regular season, pretty good, 12 and five. But man, they have looked bad headed into this, just like Arizona. Who cannot screw this up, I guess, is kind of, you know, my feeling towards this as we go into it. I just have to lean, uh, lean Sean McVay here. Cliff Kingsbury, it's been a nice story. It's clear that if you get him the personnel, which he did with Steve Kime, it's like three drafts in a row now. They've gotten talented players. They've leaned offense. He knows scheme. He knows to, how to call plays. But he doesn't know how to deal with a season. He doesn't know how to play complementary football. Like, we, we, we see it now. There, there are severe flaws to it. I'm not even saying, like, he's a disaster. Like, we, we shouldn't be saying that. They're in the playoffs. I don't think he's a disaster coach. But th- this has to be an eye-opener to the Cardinals that, man, we, we, we got some serious problems when Cliff Kingsbury is our head coach. And I think here in a home playoff game for the Rams, SoFi Stadium, I know it was like half Niners, half Rams fans. I just trust Sean McVay to make the second half adjustments if this is close, and I I trust that Matthew Stafford will not turn the ball over in the fourth quarter and instead rise up in the fourth quarter, even if he does, you know, throw an interception in the first half. I think he can account for it. I think he can uh, overcome that, and I'll take the Rams in this one at SoFi. John Lester retires. He ended his career as the St. Louis Cardinal, something that, you know, last year you wouldn't even uh, have thought possible. The longtime Boston Red Sox. Uh, Chicago Cub. He had a stop there in Oakland before the deadline. The St. Louis Cardinals organization, you never would have thought that he would be helping you to the postseason in 2021. But, you know, wild card game against the Dodgers at uh, Chavez Ravine. There he was, uh, potentially making another start in the playoffs. Cardinals couldn't win that game, though. And he announced his retirement, um, something that probably would have happened last year, but I don't think anybody wants to go out on a short term uh, season like the pandemic. So he played 2021. The thing with Lester that I think is so interesting is that he's a crossover between the two different eras. He, he came up uh, in 2006. That's when he began his MLB career with Boston. Of course, unfortunately, he was diagnosed with, with cancer, had to overcome that. Great story. But 2006, ending in 2021, Think about how different pitchers are used nowadays. This is a guy that has six 200 season, uh, 200 inning seasons, and then he's got three more in the 180s. There's guys that are never even going to scratch the surface with that. So when it comes to evaluating candidacy for, for the Hall of Fame, you got a guy that has an ERA plus of 17% better than average. Uh, ERA, as far as what he's ending with his career, um, he's going to be at 366, uh, and he's won over 200 games, uh, 200 wins and 117 losses. You know, again, those stats there, those those last two, those are ones that you don't even look at for pitchers so much anymore. It's about walk rate, strikeout rate, um, fly ball percentage, um, hard contact uh, that you've uh, surrendered. So him, CC Sabathia. These are going to be guys that really almost probably change the threshold, the bar. And I'm not even saying lowering the bar. I'm just saying maybe it changes how you look at pitchers. Because those are two left-handed guys that, for their era, top-notch. Like, best of that era. 
And you would think that it would be good enough for the Hall of Fame. But when you put it in the context of guys that are already in the Hall who played 100 years ago, 50 years ago, even 30 years ago, yeah, I mean, they just don't have the counting stats. So there are traditional voters who will say, ah, well, he doesn't doesn't have all these totals. He, he doesn't stack up in wins. He doesn't stack up in uh, strikeouts. And it's just like, well, those are all you know, a, a, a victimhood. The, the, he, he is, you know, not having those because they started using them differently as his career went along. So uh, hats off to Lester. I do not think that his postseason performance, that's not something that can get you in. I think there's too many voters now that understand if you don't have the opportunity to pitch in the postseason, then, you know, that that's not your fault. That's your team's fault. So it's going to be hard to say just because he had these moments that he's a Hall of Fame player. Like the, the voters are, are too informative now. They they're 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 too uh, too new school thinking to put him in for some reason. So at this point in time, I don't think he would get in. But if he does, him and Sabathia, th- those are guys that would really kind of shift the bar here as far as how we think about starting pitchers. So obviously Monday, checking out the national title game, Georgia takes down Alabama. Uh, just a great game. Obviously, if you love offense and you only see offense as the key variable in a, in a good football game, you didn't like this one. That was a phenomenal game. That was great defense. It was not sloppy offense. It was force from great defense. And then you have big plays from the Georgia quarterback and the offense uh, and obviously the key interception to put the game out of reach uh, by the Bulldogs. So, I mean, phenomenal football game. And the one thing that just jumped off the page was the speed. Holy crap. Everybody was fast. It, it looked like NFL speed, even though... If, if you had, like, the Jags play Bama or Georgia, they'd get destroyed. It, it just it looked like NFL speed uh, when you just look at the context. That this is two college teams. It's like, holy moly, you, you got it right. These were the two best teams for the 2021 season. And, you know, Saban, he'll, he'll bounce back. He'll probably be in the title game next season. This doesn't mean anything. It's not changing of the guard. Kirby Smart, obviously, now recruits, will continue to pour in there. And we might be looking at Georgia, Alabama again next season. And that just begs the thought. LSU, Georgia, Bama, the last three winners, uh, the last three national title games, and you take it back from like 2015 to now, SEC has been represented in all of them. Like, my gosh, college football. I, you know, I, I enjoy it to a degree. And this is why, like too much dominance from the SEC. It just matters more. Yeah, it like it actually does because the Pac-12 laughing stock, laughing stock of a conference. You better hope and pray Lincoln Riley changes the fortune of that conference because right now you have nothing. Big 12, your teams cannot get out of there fast enough. Oklahoma, Texas, two blue bloods, the two biggest blue bloods going to the SEC. They are just they're lapping you right now. It's it's a joke. Mizzou, you got in at the right time. My goodness, Gary Pinkle is going to the Hall of Fame right now. He's a you know key member of why that actually happened, the success that he brought from 2001 prior to that move in 2012. So from like 2001, 2010, and what he did with that 07 team, that's what got Mizzou into the SEC. They, they are lucky to be there. Now they got to match it up on the field and prove that they belong and prove that, um, you know, that, that they can compete. But it's tough slutty, man. You, you got Brian Kelly coaching teams. You got Mike Leach coaching teams. You got uh, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher. Three of those four guys I just named, they haven't even gotten in the national championship team. 
And and this isn't to, you know, bag on Eli Drinkwitz, but it's just like, man, like those coaches that you just named, like, sheesh. I mean, they know how to coach some ball. And, you know, soon it's just like, you know, will the SEC just kind of go with their with their own tournament? You know, just say, yeah, no, no thanks. We're, we're not sending a representative to the uh, national championship game. You guys can, you know, fight amongst it, uh, uh, amongst yourselves, those four spots. Because right now we're, we're just dominating. We're dominating. You know, we, we may have our own title game, the SEC championship tournament, where, you know, four of us or six of us who are actually the four or six best in the nation, we fight it out because there's no sense in, you know, playing the the Ohio States and the Michigans because we just rolled over you this past year. SEC just absolutely dominating college football and it's not stopping anytime soon. You know, I'm uh, thinking I've hit on all the vacancies here with uh, the NFL uh, firings, Broncos and Vikings. Forgot to touch on those. We'll start with the Broncos. They have done a lot of good things. Fangio did a lot of good things. He just never got the offense right. I thought he deserved another year. I thought George Patton should have just stepped in or John Elway and said, okay, Vic, we've tried these things. We're going to take the reins on this and we're finding you an offensive coordinator. That's okay. Like Fangio would have had to have been open to that because it's like, look, what you've done, it hasn't worked. So I don't mind you taking the old school approach and doing kind of what the Giants did with with Jason Garrett and uh, Joe Judge here having this uh, arranged marriage, that's okay because, Vic, we, we did it your way. It didn't work out. So this is what we're going to do. But we respect what you've done on the defensive side of the ball. The players fight hard for you. They fought towards the end of the season, through the end of the season. We're going to give you this fourth year. I thought I thought they should have done that, but they didn't. They'll move on. As far as the vacancy there, I could see them. You know, my big thing is when the 49ers end, I think Kyle Shanahan might be on his way out. That's my big prediction. I thought Flores was obviously a stunner. Kind of saw that coming, though. I think Kyle Shanahan with this thing with Trey Lance, I, I just don't see him, you know, staying on board with that. So, Shanahan, if he's available, could they get him the second time around that Kyle Shanahan becomes available? I think Broncos, you should look into that. Um, other than that, you know, the next best candidate is Josh McDaniels, but they did that once. I don't think they're going down that route again. Um, the other name that's out there is Doug Peterson. Again, he's, he's going with the Jaguars and the Bears he just interviewed for. Would they interview him? Potentially. The Vikings. Um, this is going to be interesting because the the Wilfs, they've had Spielman, the general manager, who they just fired. They had him since 2012, Zimmer since 2014. I really don't know enough about kind of how they go about business to really kind of predict this. This is one that's also ready-made, though. Like, you have Kirk Cousins, whether you like him or hate him, he's in place. You have good wide receivers in Thielen, uh, and Jefferson, and you got a running back. And the defense, you know, you got some pieces that you got to move on from, and you got some guys that can also play a ball. So you, you got to find someone who can evaluate talent, I think, more than anything. Like, which of these guys do we keep? Which of these guys do we get rid of? And then how are you going to kind of rephase how we play football here? So for someone like that, I think a good candidate, Eric Bieniemy. I mean, he actually was with the Vikings. He knows that ownership group a little bit. He obviously knows offense. He's obviously been a guy that's uh, uh, an understudy to Andy Reid, who also gets complimentary football. You should be all over him if you're the Vikings. Eric Bieniemy. Appreciate all you Thursday listeners. Thank you for being patient. I know it was a different week. 
Might be a different week next week just because we got the super wild card weekend, but might just do it before the wild card game on Monday. Rams Cardinals coming at you uh, at our normal time period or normal uh, recording time every Monday evening. Uh, be on the lookout for some news. Might be coming your way, might not. Can't talk much about it. All I can tell you is that I'm excited. Um, yeah, at Pete4C, tell your friends, subscribe, review. Appreciate everybody listening. We will see you guys next week.